Ladies and gentlemen, it is your host, Andre Norman, and I'm here with the none other three-time Super Bowl champion, Devin McCarthy. Yeah, man. How goes it? How goes it? Uh, good, man. Appreciate being here, man. I I've heard a lot about you, seen some, like, Instagram reels and different things, uh, so it's, it's awesome being here today, man. I mean, for me... Being, this is your building. This yeah. is this is where this is home base. For those who don't know, we are here in Gillette Stadium in the studio. We came to home base, man, ground zero for the world champions, man, and we have one of the premier champions with us. So, how's your day going so far? It's been good, man. I uh, recently retired, but get to come hang out in this building. You know, still, I think the, you know, it showed me throughout my career just relationships and, and being able to build meaningful, real relationships here uh, in New England at Gillette Stadium. Obviously, with the Kraft family and then Coach Belichick, uh, just being able to do that now, retired, they still like, hey, you want to come get some rehab in? You want to come work out? Come up, hang around the guys. But also within that, uh, getting a chance to meet some of these rookies. Um, and, you know, me, I just want to pour my knowledge out. It was the same thing when I got here. Guys like James Sanders, Lee Bodden, Darius Butler, Gerard Mayo, Vince Wolford. Those guys, when I got here, was like, hey, this is how it works. I'm going to tell you all the things that help you become a professional. It's up to you to do it. I want to pass that same knowledge to these guys. So you're just part of the Patriot family? Just part of the family, man. I'm saying welcome to the nation, man. <laughs> I'm saying, I've been here since – I'll go back to Steve Grogan days. Okay. I remember when we played Steve Grogan. I mean, Steve Grogan played the Bears, I'm saying, 85. Mm -hmm. yep. I was I was back then with it. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't go well, but – It was the beginnings. That team ended up – that Bears team was legendary, so – It was the beginnings. Yeah. It was, for us, it was the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, saying it was the beginning of our process, and we actually got to the end of the road. Yeah, you say we need we need a new ownership. And you know once you got it, we got, it was, it was it's go all time. About it's all about leadership. It's so true. So, so true. I heard you say you retired. How was that? Man, it was it was emotional, but it it was very satisfying. I'll say that because I was I'm content with my career, what I was able to do, uh, coming here to New England. Uh, really, my journey from the time I started playing football. Like, I look at my life, and, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I didn't get ranked in the top 100 in the whole state of New Jersey. Not, you know, no one ranked me out of 100 guys. You didn't count. And then to fast forward and be the 27th pick in the NFL draft, just that one accomplishment would have been huge. But then to play 13 years here, three Super Bowls, be a 12-time captain, just all of those things. Um, and knowing that if I wanted to fight through and come back for a 14th year, I could – but also realizing as a person, there's more out there that I want to do, that I want to accomplish. So, uh, again, being able to come up here and hang around the guys for the next few months, um, but also know and, and feel like I got a bright future ahead of me uh, with other things that I want to do now outside of football, really for that second act in life. Thinking about you retiring, I'm thinking about when you started. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm, you went from New Jersey, from New York to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. You started in New York, you know saying, then family moved to Jersey, and Y'all were struggling. I mean, I would call it struggling. I don't mm -hmm. know how somebody else would call it. You was just struggling to, like, stay afloat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And Man, it, it was just, you know, I think people always ask me about the things I do off the field and, you know, leadership stuff. I got that from my mom. You know, my, you know, we'll hit it probably later, but my father passed away when I was young. I was three years old. Um, my, my father had uh, cardiac arrest, had a heart attack at 36 uh, and died. And from that point on, my mom had, we have an older brother, was with her high school sweetheart, and she raised three boys on her own. And the sacrifices that I saw her put in day after day doesn't register as a kid, but as you get older, you, look back. you start to think back. And like you're talking about moving to Jersey and, and going to high school, we went to a private high school. Um, 
you fast forward, tell my mom when we get there, you get us in and you pay for us to go to school, we'll get a full scholarship. Go to Rutgers, my second year at Rutgers, my mom has to file bankruptcy. Basically because there was a couple times that we almost couldn't go back to high school and would have had to go to public school, but she found a way and she shopped different. She did what she had to do to make sure we were able to go all four years uh, to high school. And that's what I think about life. I think about being a parent, think about being a leader, being there for somebody. It ultimately means sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice personally to help somebody else further, whether it's education, sports, just life in general? And I got that firsthand from my mom. I know you're married. And I know you took care of the wife yesterday because you have the two little ones. Mm-hmm. What you do for mom yesterday? Yeah, three little ones now. Okay, added, you yeah. added one. Yeah, so my youngest will be two next month. Um, and then credit to my wife, my brother's wife. They sacrifice. We host uh, Boston Medical Center's gala the day before Mother's Day, two years in a row now. Uh, and then yesterday we went out to do brunch in Boston, hung out with the fam for the rest of the day. My brother and my mom was up too. They uh, ended up going back home. Uh, late uh, Sunday evening, but we just really hung out. My wife got to chill out uh, and just kind of rest. And I think we always talk about that. The difference for Father's Day is everybody tells you you need to hang out with your kids. It's Father's Day. Right. Mother's Day, they're like, man, get them kids away from me. I just want to <laughs> relax. Uh, so that's really what we did yesterday. You said you went out and helped people yesterday, and I know you've been helping people your whole career. When the Boston bombing happened, I know that you went out of your way to make a difference. Why? So I think coming here and playing for the Patriots, the first thing you notice right away is sports is different in New England. Like people absolutely love sports heroes. All of the sports characters dating back from when I got up here and really started to follow Bill Russell and seeing the impact they could have. And then I got up here and the Boston Marathon is so big. Like everybody, you know, Patriots Day, you're off from work. Like it's all about supporting the marathon. And when the bombing happened, there's the ripple effect, the thought process of people who had gone to the marathon for years now. There's fear. Right. Like, there was never fear. So, you know, I think it was myself. I think Danny Amendola, a lot of guys just thought of different ways to give back. And, you know, I know I donated. I forgot how much money for every tackle it's not even, that it's, I got. It's not the money. It's just the fact that you did it. Yes. So you, what was the origins of that concept? Just to, just to help people out. You know, I think when something negative happens, especially like that where – it affects everyone, not just in the city of Boston, but this whole New England area come in for that. So I think to take something so negative and try to make a positive out of it and, and shine a bright light and then to show people like, hey, I know this doesn't have anything to do with me, but I care. Like, I care about you. I care about your well-being. I care about this area being seen in a positive light. Um, and that's all I wanted to do, just create some positivity, uh, inspire some families who are obviously going through a tough time. People lost limbs, people lost lives, people lost loved ones. Um, just to give them something, when you go to a Patriot game and you're cheering, you're also like, man, those guys out there, they they're care. not just playing, they care about And me. I can tell you, born in Boston City Hospital, Boston Public Schools, I grew up here, been here my whole life. And to see you do the work and just do it from a heart place and not try to be out front is just commendable, man. I appreciate it because... This is my town. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying I'm glad you're here in it. Yeah, with us. You know saying rocking out. Man, but, um, it's, it's been awesome because you know, historically, the nature of sports like the Bill Russells, you hear the stories of like the racism and the different things that have happened here in Boston. And when I got here and I started going out to different communities, I started going to Dorchester and Mattapan and Roxbury, all the different people that I was meeting. 
they were like, man, Patriot players don't usually come here. And there was this whole like group of love that these people want to love on players, the Patriots, pray for them. Like you in those neighborhoods where you see auntie and grandma, they like, I pray for you every day. Baby. Every day. And to me, that was so inspiring because I was like, all right, man, I found that area in Boston where people look like me, they talk like me, uh, and they've just embraced me with open arms, you know, since the day I got here. And I've just tried to give back that same love and energy. It doesn't hurt that you're winning, too. Yeah, that always helps. <laughs> First Super Bowl, how was it? Oh, it was amazing. And it's the, it was the buildup. You know, my first year I come here, we go 14-2. and two. I remember being a rookie and, you know, Bill always says, you know, don't feel the hype. Don't. I was that guy. Every day I get home, I'm watching TV. Man, what are they saying about us? What are they saying about me? And so many people was like, man, this is the best team in football. That's For how, sure. That's how no, well no. we were playing in 2010. No, no. It's still the best team in football. Yes. But that year we go and we play the Jets in a divisional round. We had, we had spanked the Jets, I think, 40-3, to three, like two or three weeks before, and they beat us. So that was my first hurt. Like, we were in the playoffs, and it was, I was like, we're going to the Super Bowl my rookie year. And then just like that, season over. Then second year we come back, we go to the Super Bowl. We lose to the Giants in Super Bowl 46. Then the next two years we lose in the AFC Championship. So now I've tasted – I've been in a Pro Bowl. I've tasted being at the Your Super Bowl. Your feelings is hurt. And I'm like, man, like I can't get over the hump. So that 2014 team where we get Revis, we get Browner in here, now it's like, all right, this team, they're going to make this, they're gonna make the Super Bowl and win it. And they get over that hump after hearing all the stories from Matt Patricia, Vince Wilford, they're talking about being at the game and they're bringing a trophy down the line and everybody's looking. And then to be there and experience it, man, it was just like, finally, we got over the hump. And I know for the outside world, they're like, finally, that was y'all fourth Super Bowl. No, not, like not your fourth. 14 years. <laughs> exactly. And I your think first. that's what people don't get. For us, when we got here, that's, the, that's what we had to live up to. The standard was these guys just won three Super Bowls in four years. Y'all what are you going to go do? win Super Bowls. Like, that's what we expect. So to get there and get to that level and win it, um, myself, Edelman, uh, Gronk, Matt Slater, like we all came in with around three or four years, Dante Hightower, of each other. So when we all, we kind of, we built that unit of, we started hating hearing people talk about the, the old, old team. We started, we hated that. We hated if a guy that was in the past said something bad about one of us. Like it was just Y'all don't like, know nothing about this. We became a group. And I think that's what really bonded us, that all of us took that chip on our shoulder and was like, man, we're going to do this. And the next few years, we went on an unbelievable run. No, it's it's... It's the greatest run in football history. Yeah, absolutely. How does it, how does seen it, the, seen how, again. How does it feel to be part of the greatest team in football history? You know what? I'll say I've gotten a chance over this last like month and a half, two months, to actually reflect on that. You know, And I think that's the hard thing of the balance of trying to be a good football player and be a good athlete of how fast you forget about what, you, what you've done so you could press forward and get better. That each year we would do something. We'd go play a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, People want to talk about it. I might give you a, few, a quick little five, ten-minute interview, then I'm moving on because I'm like, you know, Coach Belichick, he's in there talking about no days off. We got to move forward. We got to be – but it is true. Like, as you get older, I knew how much pressure it was when I turned 30 that they try to write you out the league. So I never thought about the past, but now reflecting, I saw a chart of somebody who's like, man, all my favorite players from 2011 to 2019 all retired. And I'm looking at the names – I'm like, those are my guys. I know those guys. Tom, James White, Gronk. And like, we came in here and we were like, man, we're coming into the shadows of greatness. Like, what these guys have done before us 
is bar none the best thing you've ever seen. It's a dynasty. Like, how will Literally. we ever compete with that? And to look back at it now and say, man, like, we had our own run that'll go down in history and now link with what they did. Uh, and it's pretty cool just to, just to sit back and say simply, I was a part of that. It, it's pretty special. So we have people in this region because it's New England. It's mm-hmm. not just Mass. Even though Boston guys claim you out. It used to be the Boston Patriots, Patriots yeah. for the record. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we, we spread it out to New England. We included the other five <laughs> states. Showing love. We showing love. <laughs> what would you say? There's a guy sitting home right now has been watching this team since it started, back in the 60s. And he's just a forever fan. You know what I'm saying he's never got a chance to meet you. He's never got a chance to meet any of the players or the coaches or the ownership. He just sits at home on his TV and he watches every Sunday. Uh-huh. And he's rooted for you the entire time from beginning to end. What's your message to him? I would say, one, keep believing because it's not an institution. It's the people. It's not, you know, just Gillette Stadium or the Patriots logo. It's the people that represent that. And those people are still here, good people. And what I've always loved about when you explain who that person is, those are the same people walking around this building. It's the same people with that grit, that chip on the shoulder, guys that were undrafted, guys that were late-round picks. Like, when you think of Patriots, you think of some of their best players somewhere along the line got snubbed somehow, and now they're angry, and we all bond together. And when you think about that and you think about life, there's people sitting at home on a couch that have that same exact story. And they went on to be great in whatever other field that they're in, maybe not football, but it's that same attitude. And that's what I've loved about this New England area. No matter what area I go in, someone has a story that's similar. There's a guy that's going to be in Boston right now working and might be a billionaire. And if you get to know him, he'll tell you, man, my first business was a failure. Like it failed. I went bankrupt. I lost all my money, but I didn't stop. And I think that's what the Patriots are about. There's no quit. There's no stop. Look at Coach Belichick. He easily could be on a beach right now. No. Having no, no, a nice no, no, drink. No, no. Let's stop that. Let's, let's not even go down that <laughs> Don't path. Don't give him that thought. Listen, you got the whole fan base about to – no, no, no. They're about to rush the stadium. Don't even talk about Belichick leaving. There's no such thing. There, is no, there is no vacation for Coach. That's true, though. There, literally. He should be in his office right now planning out. He probably on the field right now twirling his whistle around watching sure. the guys on defense. Now, when you say people in Boston start, we come up, and we make it, you just never know. I used to listen to these games. About five miles from here, there's a state prison. Uh-huh. It's called MCI Walpole. It's a maximum security prison. Yep. I was there for 14 years. When they had games here, we could hear uh-huh. the cheers in the prison yard. And we would watch. And they had to fly over. Anything you did here, if you had a concert here, we could hear it at the prison. I was five miles away, and I was cheering for y'all uh-huh. every week. I'm saying every week. When I watched the game between the Bears and the Patriots in 85, I was in the county jail. I didn't watch it from home. Uh, I was in jail. The whole jail stops, and we root for the the Patriots. Patriots. There's no beefs. There's no drama. There's no lines. There's no color. The Patriots is on. Uh And that's it. And when I was in prison here for 14 years, right down the street, come Sunday or Monday night where y'all used to hang out, the whole prison, it's probably the lowest amount of violence in the prison, the lowest yeah. amount of fights, because <laughs> everybody was watching the game. Mm-hmm. The whole yard would be empty. That's crazy. And, and you take another state where they didn't have a winning team and a winning culture, mm-hmm. nobody's watching the game. They're out on the yard. Yeah, we care. religiously was in front of that TV for those four hours. Mm-hmm. And y'all gave us a peace of mind and something to talk about the next day. Because I got this white guy I don't talk to. But 
man, when you see him the next day, I was high fiving people on the plane last mm-hmm. night watching um watching um the Celtics. Celtics yeah. I'm, I'm on a plane flying up here, and the Celtics are playing Game mm-hmm. Seven, and we high. I'm complete strangers on the plane. Mm-hmm. We all rooting for the page, for the for the Celtics flying in here. We the next day after a game is when conversations would happen on the yard that normally wouldn't happen. Yeah. Did you understand you had that type of impact that you're getting people not to fight each other, not to war against each other because of what you did? Because you stopped to play on the goal line or you ran through a block or whatever you did mm-hmm. or your team did. It would actually help diminish and create relationships inside behind the walls. I never thought about that until I had a conversation with someone very similar to what you said. Like, grew up right in Boston, had never went to Gillette Stadium, never went to a game but had been a Patriot fan their Forever. whole life. And then sat in prison for years and spoke about each time the Patriots game came on, watched the game. And talked about how got hope sometimes and inspired by people's story that were out there playing or a great, like you just said, making a great play or a great run into the Super Bowl of that hope and that positivity would bring people treating each other better, good behavior. So it wasn't until probably like my 10th year, 10th, 11th year of having conversations and meeting people who were behind the wall and talk about, man, I remember, and they would say, I remember this play you made uh, in like 2013. I'm like, they really watching like everything. We we have a lot of time on our hands. (laughs) (laughs) But not only the plays was great, and then what happens is, because we're inside, we got plenty of time. So now it's like, okay, you got to be smarter than next guy. We get to the cypher in the morning, we're going to talk about the game. Mm-hmm. The game's easy to talk about because we saw it. Now we got to talk about the people. Researching and now, doing Now we're doing research about the people. <laughs> it's like, well, you know such and such is from here, and you know he's from over there. And, and then when I read that y'all were staying in mobile homes, I'm like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I see you as a millionaire football player, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl guy. I don't see you as a struggling kid mm-hmm. without a dad trying to find a way. And then we hear that story, and it's like, wait a minute. How can he start there? And then the truth is 80% of the league starts there. Mm-hmm. White, that, black, Latino, Samoan, they all mm-hmm. start there, yep. most all. And that's what's crazy, too, because I've got an opportunity to go into like some youth detention centers. And I think, especially for kids, like when you're a kid and you see a guy and you see he's in the NFL and you read his contract, and I went in there and he's like, man, what car you drive? And I was like, man, today I got my Jeep. Like I drove a Jeep Wrangler out here. And I'm like, huh? And then you start telling them your story. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, all of us have a story. And for almost all those guys in the locker room, why we play so hard is we get to learn each other's stories. And everybody's story is a little different. But the truth is, when you look at the NFL, and I hate sometimes the way the draft does it, where they have all these, like, sad stories. And and it's good. It's a part of a young man's story. But I'm like, man, we don't got to – we don't got to highlight down. and what's the name, every bad thing that's happened in a young man's life the day he has his dreams come true. Right. Um, but it is so true, man. Like growing up, and I think the cool thing about, like I said again, my mom, I never knew what it was growing up. To me, I always thought growing up was cool. Like I, I love yeah, like, what it was. We grew up in Section 8 apartments. There was always kids there. We were out there playing games. We do. So to me, I loved it. And like when we moved and we moved into the mobile home, we owned that. So for us, that was like, man, we upgrading. Like we don't just, we don't pay rent. This you is know, us. This is ours. Like when we want to move out of here, we sell it. And, you know, I tell people the first time I ever lived in a house is when I went to college and we had our off campus house. Like I, I never lived in a true house. Um, 
but it also motivated me. It's one of my biggest fears now having kids. Like, I don't know how to teach them about stuff because they're growing up totally different than the way I grew up. Like, I give you less. I got a son. He's eight, He's going to be 18 next month. Mm-hmm. He graduates high school. I'm leaving here and go to his graduation. He's going to school in London. Okay. He's on the way to either NYU or Tulane. He kicked rocks at Harvard. His mom went to Harvard. So he's like, no, I, wanna go, I don't want to go there. My mom went there. I want my own space. Mm-hmm. And he's a phenomenal kid. But to be raised by me and his mom and to come out now on the back end, it's like tutoring is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like where you put him, summer camps is real. The exposure is real. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely have that offline yeah. conversation about these are the things that I did. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about my past. It's about his future. Yeah, yep. And if you do these things, you give them the best chance. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask, if your mom was sitting here right now, not me, what would you want to tell her? Uh, what I tell her all the time, man, thank you. And, you know, I think, um, I think one of the biggest things is words mean something to people, but your actions. And I think that's what it's about for me. Um, my mom, we go on vacation. We're going somewhere. My mom's going. My mom's going to Italy in July with my stepdad because anything that I've gotten to experience and things that I've done is because of her. So I want her to do some things that she's only dreamt about and, and wanted to do. Like my mom, she always thought like a Mercedes Benz was like a big deal. She yeah. would see people drive that and like six years ago got her Mercedes Benz. And it's not the material thing. It make her happy. But it's the idea of someone decided, because my mom told me that before. She said for kids, they don't decide to be brought in this world. She, goes, she said two people decide to lay down and then a kid comes from that. So that's your responsibility. And you see in our society, our culture, not everybody thinks that way who has kids, like at all. So for her to decide that and say, you know what? I'm gonna like, invest. These three people are gonna get everything out of me. Like if it kills me, that's what's gonna happen. My mom had 12 knee surgeries. She used to drive us up and down the road you thought she games, was playing football. basketball games. Like that's what she did and never a complaint. So I told her, like, you know, you're retired, you. you don't work, different things that you want. And the crazy thing is, out of everybody in my life who's asked me for money or asked me for things, the least amount, my mom. Of course. And, you know, I think for her and, you know, for me, what she's meant can't be defined in words. I can't explain that. Um, I can just keep loving on her and, and doing things to show her how much. And she shows my kids the same love that she showed me just uh, without the discipline part. They don't, <laughs> they don't get that. We can't talk about that. <laughs> My dad is 90 minutes from me. He's in Connecticut, so okay. he counts in New England. And he's 82 now. Uh-huh. We've never had a great relationship for a multitude of reasons. Uh-huh. Didn't grow up with him in the house and other stuff. And we just been at odds for a long time for a lot of reasons. But he's still here. Uh-huh. And for you not to have yours, I mean, I can call him, even though I don't uh, all yeah, the time. Yeah. If your dad was sitting here, what would you want him to know about you? Oh, man. Um I say first I would I would love to to sit on the couch with him as my kids were playing and just talk. Um, like I, I tell people all the time, like I don't miss or even care about my dad going to a game or or seeing me graduate college. Like all that stuff is cool. It's a it's a few hours and then it's gone. I would love to do what me and my mom get a chance to do: sit down, grab a couple glasses of wine, and just talk talk about her childhood things she's went through. Talk about what I'm thinking about. Um, I think that's been the coolest transition of becoming an adult is the relationship with your parents change and they become an awesome friend and confidant, mentor, uh, and that's what I miss the most. Like, I've never had that from a male figure of having someone that I've trusted, you know, just with everything and being able to talk to. So, yeah, if my dad was right here, man, I would tell him everything. Like, I would tell him from beginning to end, from the time he left to everything I remember 
to where I'm at now, what I want to be uh, as a dad, as a husband, uh, I would love just to talk about the journey. Like there's no critical moments. Obviously the three years that me and Jay played together will probably be the highlight of the story. Um, but just the opportunity to say, man, like let's sit and, and go down memory lane and, and just talk about this journey. Well, I can tell you as a dad and just as anybody who's watching this show, if you were their son, they'd be proud of you. Bro, and he's without that. question. There's no way he can be like, nah, I got a problem with this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, I envision, <laughs> I envision him up in heaven every time we play a game or something or something happens. He's running around, like you said, in the prison, high-fiving people, yeah. jumping up, no doubt about it. I never got a chance to meet my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And when I first started, I started out getting in trouble, getting in trouble. And they're like, hey, Julius, look at your grandson. He's getting in trouble. Hey, look at your grandson. He didn't went over the edge. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, look at your grandson. He's at the penitentiary. Mm -hmm. Then when I, he's, he, I know he never gave up on me. When I came home from prison, I made it a point to make a difference. Uh -huh. I've been building programs and helping people. I started with little black boys, that's why I was comfortable. Uh -huh. I started helping girls because somebody invited me. And I started helping white kids because uh -huh. I didn't think they had problems, but they do too. Uh -huh. I just started helping people. And they're like, hey, he's like, come on, come on, you ain't talking about my grandkid no more. Uh -huh. He said, but hold on. Fast forward, it's probably 10, 15 years, like 10 years ago now, I got a call from the sheriff. He's from a small town in Virginia called Petersburg. Uh -huh. The sheriff called me and asked me to come down, but they couldn't afford to pay me. Once I saw the name on the email, it said Sheriff of Petersburg, I've heard about this little dusty town for my dad forever. My dad loved that town. <laughs> really? He's from Petersburg, Virginia. So he like, always wanted me to go. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to dirt town yeah. in Virginia. I'm from Boston. Mm -hmm. we, we got teams. Y'all ain't got a sports team yeah. in Virginia. So I ended up going to Virginia, and I worked down there for like two weeks, just at the schools, outreach, training mm -hmm. police, training teachers. At the end of the two weeks, we came in a room. I said, it's time to pay up. And they called my father on the speakerphone. And the first person said, hi, I'm the sheriff of Petersburg, and I want to thank you. I'm the mayor of Petersburg. I want to thank you for your son. They went around the room. He was crying by the second person. And truth, it wasn't for him. It was for my grandfather. Mm. They said, well, we, we want you to come back. We want you to keep working. And I said, under one condition. So I don't want no money. I told him to rename the high school after my grandfather, and I'll come back. I said, you rename the high school after my grandfather, and I'll be here. They did it? No. <laughs> Politics. <laughs> but I asked. Yeah. You can't get everything you ask for. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, I could have asked for a contract. Yeah. I could have asked for a lot of stuff. The thing that meant the most to me mm -hmm. was honoring my, my, my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And they did a proclamation for our family. And it starts with my grandfather and my grandmother. And it comes all the way down to us, mm -hmm. to my son. And we're in the record books of if you if Martians come in a thousand years, mm -hmm. my I've family's listed in Petersburg's law book mm -hmm. in the, the journals, whatever they call it. Yeah, and that was more important than a check because mm -hmm. I spend money. Yeah, I buy stuff, I go places, mm -hmm. and it's all gone. It'll be gone. It's gone. <laughs> that proclamation is on my father's wall at his house. Mm -hmm. All the awards that I my father can't read. He just started learning how to read like a month ago. But he's really? 82 and he can't read. He's mm -hmm. been illiterate his whole life. But he can read the word Petersburg. Mm -hmm. And he can read my name. And he has probably like four or five plaques on his wall in his room. They say Petersburg and it says Andre Norman. Mm -hmm. And that's more important to me than any check yeah. they could have wrote. Oh, that's so, awesome. Trust, believe. Your dad's looking at mm -hmm. you and he's super happy. Yeah. I believe that. Now, your, your wife let you get away with the rubber ring? What's up? Working out, I can't oh, wear. I got oh, you a, switch up. I got a, I got a real one, but I've probably worn it like twice, ten times, maybe our whole. I try to put it on if we go out, like go to a wedding or something. But other than that, 
So how did you know? Because we have an issue in the hood where people don't get married. Oh yeah, it's like no. getting married is like a foreign concept. I got married, you know, what I'm saying 2004, and it was like, wow, what are you doing? Why that you for? getting married? <laughs> what are you doing? You're too young. You're too young. I'm like, why would you not get married? Mm-hmm. And craziest thing, the best man at my wedding was a volunteer from the prison. It was an old guy from Needham, Pat Dempsey. Shout out to Pat Dempsey. He's he was a Catholic volunteer. He's come up to the prison and volunteer and help mm-hmm. us out. And I met him. We became friends and became my mentor. When it came time for me to get married. I had Pat be my best man. Oh, I said, when I announced my wife to the world, you're standing with me. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he's been with me ever since. Yeah. So why get married? Because people need to hear this story. Yeah, man. I, I think, for one, I think the hardest thing was I didn't know what marriage was supposed to look like. You know, growing up, no one in my close circle, like I didn't see married couples to say, man, like that's what I want to envision. So one of the hardest things uh, with my wife was going through that process of, What is our marriage going to be based on? What's going to be our foundation? She grew up, both her parents been married, I think it's like 40-something years. Um, And so she sees marriage through a totally different lens than I did when we started going through premarital counseling. And I think that's what really saved us because it allowed us to develop what we wanted in a marriage, how we envisioned it, the good, the bad, and it allowed us to work those things out. But when I think about marriage, I think about, I found someone that I can forever call my friend. So when some of the best news has happened to me, I call my wife. When some of the worst things that have happened to me, she's right there alongside of me and we journey life together. And no matter what happens, I know no matter what, I have someone that has my back. And very praised to my wife and my brother's wife because the weirdest thing is being married to twins because we've already came up with the idea. We got somebody that has our you back. married twins? No, no, no. We're twins. Okay. So <laughs> with them, it was always like if we're together, they, they'd be like, here they go again. Because <laughs> that's second nature to us. Right. Of having somebody that you're going to know is going to call you out, that you know is going to be your best friend. We've had that. But then getting to meet my wife and seeing like, man, I have a relationship that's similar to what I have with my brother as far as trusting somebody and knowing that like even if my eyes was closed and I had to journey through some through life blind that this person would always make sure my best interest was at the top of the list um and I think we don't think about that in our culture of having that we think about women in a certain way that has to change but I think that comes from having people in communities being positive role models and showing like no I'm married like this is what I do hey we got to go here nah man I can't this ends my night. Like, it's time to go back home. Go home to so the I wife. stay married. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think having that is big. And I know I got that when I got here. Being around Gerard Mayo, Vince Wolf, seeing guys in the locker room who were married. I was like, oh, damn. Like, <laughs> yeah. not all football players live like what we watch on TV. Like, some of these guys got their kids coming to training camp every day. Their wives, they're hanging out. So I think being around that, being in that environment, our coaching staff, being married and, you know, Brian Flores, who was here, was a great mentor for me. And I went to his house on Thanksgiving, met his mom, his dad, his wife, his brothers, his kids. Like, just being in that environment and seeing another black man live that life and have a family, a house. I was like, man, like, that's what I, that's what I want to do. Yeah, when I got married, my wife, all of her, she has a PhD from MIT. Uh-huh. All of her family has PhDs from someplace. So I didn't hate going around. It was like, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we used to pull up, part, yeah. literally, the whole mob, PhDs. So you roll in and be like, but it's like, I was, I chose her mm-hmm. based on the fact that she was highly educated because yeah. I knew my weaknesses. 
I wanted my kids to be educated. Mm-hmm. And she told me when we were dating, she said, all of my kids will go to Ivy League schools. Is that a problem for you? I was like, no. Hell no. <laughs> no, whatever, whatever. I didn't know it was 32000 for kindergarten, though. <laughs> they didn't tell me that part. I needed your job. But I, we worked and we made it happen. But her being educated, I look for someone that can fill my holes, mm-hmm. the things that I didn't do well, and the things I weren't strong in. And we got a great kid as a result. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. And you see, man, marriage isn't easy. Like, when you got somebody that knows your weaknesses and knows how to challenge you to be better, it's no different for me as in football. Like, the things I had to work on was my weaknesses. So those days would be hard. It'd be hard to get my weaknesses somewhat up to maybe not be a strength, but to be at least average with everybody else in the league so I can become a better player. That's how my wife pushes me. But you don't always, like, you don't have that that. mindset on all the time. (laughs) Sometimes, like, man, just leave me alone. Like, I'm good (laughs) now. But same thing with my wife. My wife's a doctor. Um, We met at Rutgers. She went to med school at Rutgers. Um, And for me, when I was around her in college, even though we weren't dating, I was blown away by her focus. Like, Oh, super. We would all be going out, and she'd be having a book bag on with her books. Like, yeah, I'm headed to the library. I got a big test uh, coming up in two weeks. I said, you studying for a test two weeks from now? I said, I don't study for a test until a day or two before. She's like, that's why you're getting Bs. She's like, exactly. That's why you're not pre-med. You're getting a fake B. (laughs) She's getting a real A. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's been been an awesome journey, man. We've been married seven years, uh, three kids. We, We lost a kid. We had to battle through that. Um, we've been through ups and downs, you know, I think, you know, it's been really cool to just be with that, that person uh, through the good and bad, like I said earlier, and just know that when you lay your head down, man, you're like safe. I'm confident this person next to me, exactly. When I travel through the airport, when I travel, I'll see old couples, I mean, mm-hmm. like I'm 56, so I'll see older couples mm-hmm. until like in their 70s, and it'll be the husband and wife. I always say to her, you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're 70, somebody's going to say to your wife, you did a great job. Yep. No doubt. Because that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And all all these hard-headed people who watch football, and ah, it's the wife. Yeah. Because yep. if it wasn't for her, there'd be no couch. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be watching TV on a crate. My wife tells me that all the time when I complain about whatever something costs. Yes. She'd be like, if it was up to you, we wouldn't have anything wouldn't in have here. Nothing. So, in closing, is there anything you want to say to Patriot Nation before we go? Man, I feel like Patriot Nation's been seeing me more uh, in the last month since I retired, but... Uh, It's been an honor. You know, I think so many people have come up to me and said thank you uh, for the 13 years. And I tell people quickly, don't thank me. Like, I had the time of my life uh, over these last 13 years of not only getting to to live out a dream of playing uh, in the NFL, but the crowd and the people I got to play in front of. Uh, I think that has been so special. Uh, And, you know, like life, my career hasn't always been just an upward ascend. Like, I've had low points. I've had downs. Um, but the the energy and the love that people have showed me throughout my whole career on and off the field. Like I think about it got shaky around social justice and, you know, taking a knee and raising a fist. And so many people were angry. Uh, and you fast forward, George Floyd happens in 2020. And people were like, man, like you were talking about that back in 2017 when everybody was angry, you were taking a knee. Um, and then just the journey that I've gotten to take here on this team. Um, you obviously got to meet Robin Glazer, who's been a huge part of a lot of the things that I've gotten to do here. Um, but the journey for me uh, makes me sad to think like, man, that won't be the journey anymore because as you go through it, you kind of learn each year of how to make it better, how to master some other things. And I feel like mentally when it came to playing football and being in this environment, 
I felt like I was just now creeping on mastery of knowing it. It's time to go. And then it's time to you go. You take that mastery to the next space. Exactly. So I'm excited about that, man. My last question, and we're out of here. I'm not going to do the Baptist preacher thing. This is the last <laughs> question. I work with guys and women in prison. I work with CEOs who are depressed and drink too much. I work with kids who are dealing with suicidal issues. I work with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going through something. I don't care that they're watching this show and they're happy, like, okay, it's Devin. And everybody's going through something. Like, right now, I'm going through some stuff right now. There's, everybody's going through something. Mm-hmm. For that person who's home struggling, for that person who's next to somebody who's home struggling, close out message. Yeah, man, the biggest thing I would say is what I, I got to learn from Ben Watson. Don't lose hope. He, we, when a, a young man got out of prison, we visited him. And we gave him a check to help him get back on his feet. And, and Ben said to him, we're giving you this check with money. But he said, it's not the money. He said, I'm hoping by this check that we give you, it gives you more hope. And he said, the greatest thing a man can have is hope. He said, hope in anything, anything to believe in, to get you going each day, to know you can press forward and become something. He said, that's what I hope this check means to you as you now go into your next stage of life is that we're helping bringing you a little bit more hope going forward. And when he said that, I was like, man, like no matter how low you get, no matter what you're going through, if you got that hope to keep going and that hope to believe in whatever it is that you believe in or that you want to get to, um, that'll wake you up each day and push you forward. And that's what I would give anybody. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are here at Gillette Stadium, the building, the mecca, the one and only. (laughs) And I have to give you my book. Oh, you I'm know what always, it's titled, right? I'm forgetting. The Ambassador man. of Hope. <laughs> Look at that, man. <laughs> you talked it up. That was a great intro. But, brother, I want to thank you. I appreciate you. For coming. I want to thank you for being. And I want to thank you for the work that you're going to do in the future. Because as you walk away from football at one level, the lights will get smaller, but your heart will get bigger. So just keep going. I appreciate you, man. We'll see you next time.